this story does contain some graphic imagery. Donald Cabana, take it away. The method at that time was the gas chamber. I knew that at some point in my career, I would probably be faced with that task of executing somebody. Any person who takes on a warden's job, they better do it with the eyes wide open. You go into it understanding that this may be part of my job. And if I'm not willing to do this particular part of my job, then I shouldn't take the job in the first place. Edward Earl Johnson was the first execution that I actually presided over. He was an interesting guy. He had been convicted of uh, killing a town marshal about uh, three months after he graduated from high school. He came from a, a good family, had been raised in the church and stuff, and uh, shortly before the execution, the weekend before, we were having Sunday dinner. And um, my wife, she looked at me and she said, are you ready for this? I almost flippantly, nonchalantly said, hell, I've spent 20 years in my career being ready for this moment. You know, combat in Vietnam. And she said, I think you're going to find that those are two very different experiences. I said, well, maybe so. But look, it goes with the territory, and if I'm not willing to do it, I don't deserve the job, and I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Most inmates, you know, on death row are going to tell you they're innocent, but usually when you get right down to it's time to do the deed, the inmate will come around. He may not just come right out and say, okay, I did it. They might say, uh, please apologize to the victim's family. Well, you know, you're not going to do that if you didn't do something. But in his case, at the point in time that I finished reading the death warrant, when it was time to ask him if he had any final words, he is strapped into the chair inside the gas chamber. I leaned down and I just kind of whispered to him and said, Edward, it's not important that anybody in this room hears you say, I'm guilty, I did it. But what is important is that you're at peace with your God before I have to give the order to do this. And um, I thought to myself at that moment, hey, that's pretty strong stuff. That's pretty good stuff. And that'll get his attention. He looked at me and said, Warden, I'm at peace with my God. How are you going to be with yours when you realize that I'm being murdered? I'm innocent. And those were his last words, I'm innocent. I told my wife, she met me outside. She said, how was it? I said, it was horrendous. It takes too long. It's potentially excruciatingly painful. We're supposed to be better than they are. I said, uh, if I never have to do it again, I won't be sorry. One's enough for me. I don't know how folks in Texas do it. And uh, we started walking back to the house. And I said, you know, while I was doing this, everybody else in Mississippi is asleep. And I've been busy doing their dirty work for them. We got to the house. I climbed in the shower. And I scrubbed and I scrubbed and I scrubbed because I felt dirty. Well, 
six weeks later it got worse because i i did my second execution only in this case the, the guy never denied his guilt connie ray evans the problem was that i had become extremely close to him that happens sometimes it's inexplicable it breaks every rule that wardens have about don't get close to the cons and my wife used to warn me that guy's gonna burn you and I said look out of all the inmates on death row Connie's the best behaved never causes any problems he's as quiet as a church man she said I'm not talking about him escaping or hurting anybody he's gonna burn you he sends you birthday cards you go down there and you play checkers with him you t he's gotten under your skin you're, you're much too close to him for your own good. What's going to happen if his time comes while you're the warden? And lo and behold, two weeks later, the governor called and said, we're going to have another execution in 30 days. And I said, um, okay, who is it? And they said, let's see, a guy by the name of Connie Ray Evans. And I was just stunned. I had... Uh, instituted very liberal visitation policies for prisoners facing execution. His mother, when I had to tell her it was time for the visit to be over, I went outside the building to smoke a cigarette. And she came outside and she came up to me and she put her hand on my arm and she said, I know you have children. Please don't kill my child. Those words rang in my ears. I went back to my house that evening, and I just wanted to hug my kids and not let them go. The night of the execution, when it was time to, to walk the mile, we started walking him down the row, and the inmates, as we passed their cells, one by one, started saying goodbye to him. The officers who worked on the row had all gathered up at the end of the block, and they were all standing here with these big burly guys, you know, with tears in their eyes. And about halfway down the row, somebody, one of the inmates, started very softly singing Amazing Grace. And by the time we got to the end of the row to go into the last night room next to the chamber, uh, the entire cell block was singing. You know, it was the, the 30 minutes or so in, in the last night room was really awkward. I found myself saying really awkward things to him like, uh, we're going to go through this together. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Knowing it, well, not exactly every step of the way because I'm not strapping my butt into that chair. We talked about mundane things. And I thought it doesn't get much harder than this. But we got him into the gas chamber and, and we were strapping him into the chair and I read the death warrant and when I asked him if he had anything to say he said I want to tell you something privately I just want you to know that I love you to be honest with you I think for an instant I wanted to tear up but hell I'm the warden and I've got a team of employees that are expecting me to be a leader and uh, you don't do that 
if you're out there boohooing about executing somebody that murdered another human being, no matter how much you might have liked him personally. I stepped out. When we were closing the chamber door, he said, wait a minute, Warden, I have one more question. And I stepped back in, and he said, "Um, how do I do this? And I said, look, you're going to be able to see me uh, through the glass. And when the gas begins to rise up, you look at me, and I'll nod my head, and you take a couple of deep breaths, and I promise you it's going to be over very quickly which, of course, was not true. But I never took my eyes off him. We were fixated on each other, and I just looked at him and shook my head. I realized uh, about a minute and a half into it, I looked at the doctor and I, and I said, Jesus, he's holding his breath. Of course, he couldn't hear me through the glass, but I said, breathe, damn it, breathe. And he was still holding his breath about two and a half minutes into it. And I banged my fist on the glass and said, breathe. It took about four and a half minutes before he lapsed into unconsciousness. I found myself standing there wondering how we both got there. How had our lives come together under those circumstances? I went home and I told my wife, okay, you were right. I shouldn't have got close to him. And um, I told her what he said. She began to cry a little bit and she said, but you're wrong about something. And I said, what? She said, you will come to treasure the fact that you knew him the way you did. And you'll treasure for the rest of your life what he said to you. I do. Um, I do. We were having Sunday dinner, and uh, my oldest daughter all of a sudden just said, do you worry about being forgiven? I did struggle very privately with the issue of my judgment. Last year, I, I went into congestive heart failure, and it caused my kidneys to fail, and, and it got real complicated and touchy for a while. I remember laying there uh, praying the rosary and thinking to myself, um, I want to make sure I've covered as many of the bases as possible in terms of seeking forgiveness and redemption. And so the executions were part of my conversation with, with my God. You know, one of the great criticisms that a lot of people have about uh, death row inmates is that, well, of course they've found religion. They all find God when they are told they're going to be executed. But I remember, you know, my priest was standing there with me, and I'm hanging on to my rosary, and I'm praying. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, we're not different from some inmate on death row. That's right. Your life is different for having heard that piece. Thank you, Donald Cabana. And thank you, Anna Sussman. You are listening to Snap Judgment. And to hear more stories, visit snapjudgment.org.